We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. PGMOL devastated as Arsenal strengthened their chase for top four despite their best efforts. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Yeah, look, whether you are someone who buys into the they are out to get us thing or you don't buy into the they are out to get us thing, they are out to get us and they didn't get us and ha 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 to them. Uh, I found myself exhilarated at full time, as did the players, uh, with our win over Wolves especially in the context of the results that we had seen earlier in the week with United drawing Burnley and Spurs hilariously losing to Southampton at home. And it now puts us, according to Scott's model, over 50% for top four, over 90% for Europa League or Champions League. So a really strong position we put ourselves in with this. And of course, you get the usual people saying, oh, Arsenal are celebrating too much that they won a game of football. And it's like, good. You know, it, all of this stuff just means we're relevant again. And, and I've longed to be relevant. I was saying the other day, like, it's been a while since I, I was that gripped by the last few minutes of stoppage time that I was hiding behind the couch that when it, you know, the minute the game ended, I, I brought up the table just to double check the points again. Like, it feels good to have that investment. And uh, I actually think, and we'll come on to this a little later, that maybe, maybe, maybe Michael Oliver and, and the, the weird red card thing did us a bit of a favor. And we can talk about why that might be uh, in terms of how it strengthens what we now have to do. Because we have another nine days off before we play again, if you can believe it. So that's, uh, that's the preamble. I do want to say that we did a really, really fun full-season data review breaking down every player in all the top four competitions over on the Patreon side. We did it in video and audio, but the video has full graphs and charts, and Matt from Giant Gooner did it, and uh, I just really enjoyed being able to sit shotgun while he walked through that. So if that's the kind of thing that tickles your fancy, that's over there on the Patreon side. If not, we got you right here, and here with me now is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter. Clive, you say hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Some good snaps of Tim uh, enjoying himself on the ride home from the game last night. So he'll be joining us on a podcast in the near future, as will Scott, of course, and many others. But for now, I think, you know, look, uh, this was a game that 
I never expected to be an easy one. Wolves defensively are very good. Their results recently in the league have been very good. They've played close to a lot of good teams. I mean, they lost only 1-0 both to Liverpool and City home and away. They have some big wins at home. They drew 0-0 with Chelsea. They have not been an easy side to break down. And this was one for me that was like, you know, by hook or by crook, get the result. Because we've been off for 18 days. We don't have Tomiyasu, but otherwise we're pretty much, I think you'd call it full strength. And I did like what Arteta did picking Cedric because he was able to leave White and Gabriel in their preferred positions. And and overall, I think we might come to Cedric later as someone who deserves a little praise. But Paul, in the opening stages of this game, I actually thought it was game played at a fairly high level. We were doing pressing, but pressing the way we do. And, And one thing Matt highlighted in our data review is that we are near the bottom statistically in terms of a metric called aggression. And aggression measures the amount that you commit a defensive action within three seconds of the opponent getting the ball. So like a tackle or a foul, an interception, something like that. But that doesn't mean we don't press. But the way we press, Paul, is we cut off passing lanes. We cut off angles. And I actually thought that we were doing that pretty well. And actually, Ruben Neves in particular, maybe a couple other guys, Wolves were doing a really good job of moving the ball quickly, switching big, and getting around the press. And so the opening stages of the game, I thought was us trying to pin them back, them doing a nice job getting out, and then us recovering and defending. And and that was sort of the initial pattern. And I saw people getting frustrated. And there's this sense that, like, if we haven't battered them with shots and two-goal lead in the first 20 minutes, something's wrong with us. But I actually thought it was just a high-level game of football of us having a tactic and them doing well to handle it. Yeah, I think it was cat and mouse. I think the way way I often think about our pressing is um, they don't have this show in the U.S., but they have a a show called uh, One Man and His Dog, and you got a sheepdog, and he's chasing some sheep around a field, and he's not chasing. He's kind of, he crouches down, he moves them along. You you know this one, right, Clive? You've seen this show? Oh, yes. So <laughs> it sounds really well, dull. So explain it, please. <laughs> it sounds really dull. Yes. But, like, the guy starts off, he's got the dog beside him. The sheep are, like, a quarter of a mile away. He, he whistles the dog pisses off down to where the sheep are, runs behind them, crouches down. Then he moves them along through some obstacles uh, around a tree uh, between some gates. And then he has them kind of positioned between a pen that he's trying to get them in, the dog is. And the, the, the dude's still like a quarter of a mile away, whistling him, giving him some nudges. And then the, the dog works the sheep into the pen. Now, what he never does is savage any of the sheep, attack them, get them by the throat, uh, uh, wrestle them to the ground. And that's basically our pressing. We're, we're pushing them towards the sidelines into bad spots, bad places to, to uh, progress the ball. So they put it out to touch. We, we often get the ball back from a throw-in. That's the nature of our pressing. We, do, we don't go in uh, two-footing anybody. Um, it's not super aggressive. We're not trying to force turnovers directly. So that's what we did in this game. Um, and it doesn't always look uh, high pressure, but it's effective. We're, uh, Odegaard and Lacazette will push them to the right wing. Uh, Lacazette and uh, uh, Chaka or whoever, uh, Martinelli, will push them to the left wing. And yeah, it was a good game of cat and mouse. The one thing I'd say about the first half and why I would recognize some level of frustration was our quality was low except when it wasn't. Um, So lots of guys made mistakes on the ball for no great reason apart from we haven't played for 15 days. Tierney, Odegaard, Partey, 
uh, Cherka, um, Gabriel, all loose when we kind of had the ball and in possession. But the one thing that stood out to me was there were movements of real quality in the first half, four or five where we just, we got it right, we clicked and we passed it through them. We moved it through the lines from one side to the other side. Um, And like we had a couple of those just as the goal happened before and and leading to the goal. And then at the end of the first half, we had a couple of really sweet movements through them. And that's kind of what gave me hope that our football is there, it's back. And uh, again, coming into this game, like you said, I expected Wolves to be good. They've, they've played a bit more and a bit more recently. And uh, I expected us to be rusty and we delivered. But, yeah. but we turned it on too. Yeah, there, there were there were some good moves that resulted in some decent chances, but by and large, like they were organized enough to marshal us into the areas they wanted us, and we, I think, tried to put our press into place to to make it difficult for them to play out. And and to some extent, I thought their back three really helped them a lot in this game because I think they were able to find their wing backs, they were able to hit the big switches to get around the press, and and that was something that they did effectively. But Clive, like one of the things I was really interested to see, look, we're coming off 18 days where we were able to just sort of train and prepare and decide who we want to be for these last 17 games of the season. And so I felt that whatever we saw in this game would be a reflection of really who we want to be, right? We've trained on it. We've worked on it. We're going to come out. We're going to do it. And the two things I saw was, again, a commitment to doing this kind of pressing, this closing down passing lanes and trying to be more aggressive in engaging up the pitch. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting is it does seem like we're going to more of, now I call it a 4-3-3, but I think you are right in pointing to it being a diamond. It's just that the top of the diamond is a striker. In the yeah. sense that Party plays the deepest in midfield and Shaka's more left eight than double pivot now and, and Odegaard's more right eight. And that's an interesting transition. Now I'm not convinced it is a role that Shaka is totally comfortable with. By and large, I thought this was sort of a 6 out of 10 Shaka game with one 10 out of 10 moment that saves us the points. So we absolutely have to praise him for that. That header was sensational. But I'm curious how you think of this evolution, you know, in, in terms of maybe why we're doing it, what it opens up, and if, if possibly, that left eight where, where Shaka's playing might ultimately wind up being someone else's role. Yeah, so every time I think Shaka's should be for the scrap heap. He heads one out the back post and keeps yeah. <laughs> make sure we win the game, right? So there's, there's also a different. dumb yellow card, but you know, yeah, dumb yellow card. Little this, little that, that. That's structural <laughs> because Kirantini presses ahead half-heartedly. He's caught in left back again on his own. I mean, how many more times are going to see it, right? So, so I, I seem to be one of the. You know, obviously we all look around Twitter. And we can. There's lots of good analysts out there. And, I don't see many people calling us playing a diamond, and I, and I think we're playing a diamond. I think it's it's really clear to me. And but with most diamonds, what you have you have your two forwards playing inside the fullbacks, not on the extremities. So we have a diamond, but our two killers are literally chalk on boots. So I and this is what overemphasizes in my mind. When we have the ball and, we, and Odegaard comes into the ball, an 8-10 roll, we don't have enough oomph or weight or anything in the middle. We're, we're stretched out, which is great. And we're asking those guys to travel inside and combine and do one-twos and, and get the next phase into the box, which is it's very challenging, this structure. I, I like it 
from a distances point of view, I think we're we're quite a light team. So you you regain strength by keeping people closer together. But I think we're asking a lot of our wide forwards. You look at Liverpool in, in a similar shape, but look at the lanes their forwards play in. They just play one lane in, and of course they're closer to the goal, much more of a goal threat. I'd like to see us go more to that a little bit more if we could. Um, and I, I think it's something that's a, a, it's making me look at certain people and say, well, you can't do this job. And so I do agree with you, Elliot. I think that left, or what you're intimating, that left eight role, we're all looking at this team, right? We are, I was speaking to Andrew earlier on, and I sort of said, we're all looking at this team that we are, we want to be completely in love with them, but we know they're incomplete. Yeah. And they're two positions that literally are staring at us. And we can all see it. We're trying to not look at it because we're watching the game, but we can all see they're not quite right. It's not quite fit. And this is so Arteta. This is, I'm going to build this structure, even though the people that I've got in it are not ideal. I'm not going to build a structure for those people because why would I do that? <laughs> I'm trying to build a house that's going to last for a long time. And I, I often feel he's not just building a team to qualify for the top four. He's building something to stay in the top four. And that's something we have to get to grips with because we're just thinking, we've got to qualify, we want to qualify, why have you got a striker? He's thinking, now, when I build this team, it's not going anywhere. It's staying here. I think this is a real challenge for our brains because the opportunity is right there for us. And um, so, yeah, the shape we're playing, we we just need the personnel and, and to really make it work. And so what we're going to do now, naturally, we're going to look around our wonderful deep squad, <laughs> we can look around and look at alternatives and say, could he do it better? Could he do it better? And that's the journey we're going to go on. And as soon as we drop a point, that journey is going to become acute because um, what we're doing right now is slightly different. I like it, but there's, it also tells you that there's a, an obvious next step phase in this team to make us a lot, lot better. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I think we know what, what it is. It's certainly what one, one of those things is. And, Maybe let's not just get there quite yet. Paul, one of the things that I thought maybe was part of the reason we looked a little bit less um, exciting, exhilarating, dangerous early on is a lot of stuff got funneled down the left. And while I thought Martinelli was playing well, he was tigerish, he was winning the ball back, he was doing all the things we like that Martinelli does, um, we weren't really getting Saka involved as much. And so they were able to, to pretty much funnel us out to the left and, and shut down our attacks from that side. But then a couple of times we get Saka involved and he's just such a unique player. And and the way he can beat a man, beat two men, find space, forces players to stand off him, it's it's really so impressive. And so there were a couple of nice moves involving Saka and they led really to our first threatening opportunities, our first big openings, at least if my memory serves. I'm curious uh, why you think maybe we... We struggled to get Sack into the game early. I mean, part of it was I was wondering is, you know, is it Cedric being there and and not really necessarily wanting to play through that side as much initially, or or something Wolves were doing? Why do you think why do you think it took us a while to get to get Sack involved? Because I, I think when he got on the ball, we obviously, as you would imagine, look a lot more dangerous. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it was just spilling the ball unnecessarily, which we a- absolutely did in the first half, and it, like it probably took away. Uh, 50% of our good good opportunities and possessions. And so you're, you're dealing with a lower number of situations to, to say how many were down the left and down the right. But I think the other factor is the left side is where we attack with speed. It's kind of our direct route. 
It's yeah. got Tierney. It's got Martinelli. Uh, Chanka's going to spin it. You know, the right side, if you think in terms of who we normally have there, is going to be Ben White. It's going to be Tommy Yasu, uh, Odegaard, um, Saka in a zigzag party. And they're going to kind of, it's going to be much more the tiki-taka side that does something clever if we're building up that side. But actually what, very often happens is we go up the left and then switch across the play to the right-hand side, and that's where you see Odegaard and Saka mincing them. Um, kind of what, when we had our good possessions in this game, that was a lot of what happened. We came up the left at speed to destabilize Wolves, and either with a cross that came to the other side or um, uh, Martinelli spinning the ball to the uh, to the opposite wing to to Odegaard, we'd suddenly have them kind of destabilized. We switch possession. Saka Odegaard start the triangles. Cedric often tucking in, overlapping a little bit. As you said, he had an okay game. Uh, like if he played at this level for the rest of the season, when he's a backup, we'd probably be okay with this. Um, and. You know, his was, cross that Lacazette didn't get ahead on was was really sensational. I mean, that's yeah, you know, that's yeah. a missed opportunity. Yeah, um, and he can be a very good crosser. But what I liked was he didn't get it right all the time. His his mixing into the triangles was pretty good, and that's why. Back to your point on Saka, why didn't we see more? If you like volume. Um, I think they were ready for that part of it. Like, he's such a danger man. He's so good, never wastes a possession kind of thing. Um, but as we, they were pretty well set, and our challenge is to get up the pitch, basically. We successfully moved be- uh, kind of between the, the the thirds by coming up the left and then switching to the right, and that's where we saw Saka kicking in, Saka Odegaard. He had, both had some really good combination moments in the first half and early in the second half. That was kind of where we looked like we had him on toast if it mm. was going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think... A couple of things too, like on the right, there was one move where Odegaard played a little one-two with Saka and played him in, and I think that was a cross back for Lacazette who hit it straight at the keeper. Um, mm. But on the other side, and this isn't me picking on Shaka, it's just the, the way the game played out. There were a number of opportunities where Shaka got the ball between the lines in that more advanced position, and Martinelli made the run in, you know, off the shoulder of the right center back in the in the space vacated by the wing back, and Shaka tried to play between the center backs. You know, the pass the sort of through ball between the center backs for Martinelli to run in. And he just didn't get yeah. the weight right. A lot of them. There were a couple different ones where it was just too easy for the, for the center back to cut it out or it was a little too heavy. So just a few little missed opportunities there. And something that I think as we do more of it, you know, maybe he will get more comfortable in that role. I also wonder if, you know, that's a position that maybe Smith Rowe occupies from time to time, or even Sammy Lukonga. So we'll, we'll see how that develops. Clive, you have a thought on that? Yeah, you know what? I had the same thought about how do we develop this position, and it it comes back to what we're going to be. And you said that earlier. We've been away earlier, and what we're going to be. So we've all been focused on the fact that we've not we've lost a, a key forward, shall we say? And we're all thinking we need to find ways to score. I'm wondering if we're looking at this wrong. Yes, and, and it's all about how we defend. You know, it's defence first. And we're going back to the old 1-0 to the Arsenal potentially because defence is what we have rebuilt. We haven't, we're incomplete in the forward areas. And although we want to see progression and shots and chances, I'm just thinking maybe if I'm the manager, maybe thinking, you know what, I know I can 
solidify and stabilize this team. And from there, I've got forward talent that I need to focus on being efficient on the scraps that they get. You know, and as you know, possessions are everything in football. And so I'm wondering if we're slightly looking at this the wrong way around and where he's going to go, you know. And um, I, my, I'm the same as everybody else. I want to see Smith Rowe play. I want got to get Pepe on the pitch. I want to see, because I look at the game and I want to see threats. I want to see people running away from my goal because my heart rate goes down. When they're running towards my goal, then it goes up, right? So, so I want to see the same thing as everybody else. But I'm wondering if we are comfortable at our position, comfortable dealing with people and then working on broken field play transition, which which is basically who we are and have been for a few years. So Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, Clive. I've, I've been thinking on that myself, but I kind of came to the conclusion, not so much that it's about defence first. Um, I think it's about being able to build from the back first. Um, yeah. Control, being secure, but also controlling the game so that we have the ball we have possession more and more as we get better holding on to it and i don't think we're there yet we're we're barely a 50% possession team i think yeah. but what we are is control when we have it and the ability to to dictate the game by when we play from the back how we play from the back so i think it's more control than possession at the moment yeah. and the ability to uh press up front uh, force turnovers um, when we're hyper aggressive, which are pr- with our pressing, which we weren't in this game, the bi- ability to build from the back up the sides, switch it, uh, and get into dangerous posi- posi- positions in kind of in transitions. Um, but we're to be fair to, if you like, the attacking aspect of our game, which I think has finally kicked in now. We're still, like, we were on track for 14 shots in this game. I think we ended up with 11 or something. And we've been getting 14 shots, which is, you know, those are good numbers. That's an attacking team getting 14 shots. So we're finding ways to be dangerous getting those shots, uh, game in, game out, since that time it clicked shortly after Everton. Yeah, we had nine, nine shots in the first half, for the record. And and yeah. the only thing I would say, and Clive, I'll bring you back here real quick. I just wanted to make the point that, like, I think we would agree that it's a very minus expected value way to try to get top four to grind out a lot of one nils. I mean, we know that um, nicking it is a really risky strategy because you put yourself at the risk of variance. And so, like, I still think, you know, if if you can go and, and create more chances, you give yourself more opportunities to to have the the odds fall in your favor. Now, I do look at the way we played at the end of December and even against City. And I, I think this is a team that's capable of creating a lot of chances, even without the center forward that we need. And maybe the switch to more of a diamond or 4-3-3, however you want to view it, I think is intended so that when we do have the ball, we have more more, oper- more people to give the ball to and more people occupying spaces between the lines and at the top of the f- final third so that we can have the ball there more often. I see us now controlling a more advanced area of the pitch than we did earlier in the season. Um, and where I wanted to jump in with Clive when he said we're looking at it wrong, I really think the area we're looking at wrong is we're fucking obsessed about whether Lacazette is going to score or not. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Well, well, I mean, we I like shouldn't it. I like him too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. He can but, do when he's one-on-one with the keeper if that's okay. Yeah, but let it go, right? Yeah, you yeah. don't care where we get our chances from. No. If it's Martinelli and Saka and Odegaard and we don't care. 
Well, and look, we, we, we know, Clive, we all know, look, <laughs> Lacazette had a one-on-one with the keeper. He didn't score. That can, that can happen. That can happen to good strikers and bad strikers, but it happens, and it, and it happens to hurt because you're down to 10 men and you're up a goal, and you can make your life a lot easier. He has a, a, a cross he doesn't get his head to. Um, you know, he's a shot that he strikes directly at the keeper. Like everybody knows a better striker takes this project up a level. I do think he is linking play and doing things that help. To be fair, the goal we score, he sort of throws himself into the dangerous area up against the keeper. And I actually think if we don't score, we've got to shout for a penalty there. I think he's important in that goal. So look, you can only get so much in attack with that player as your striker. That's just the reality, right? Yeah. He's doing everything he can. He cannot squeeze anything. (laughs) else out of that body he is literally throwing himself into everything he can when he doesn't do something right it's not because he doesn't care or can't be bothered right so he's doing all he can so the what i was trying to say earlier is and even if it falls on for your pressing conversation which is not really a pressing conversation based on how liverpool do where they want to rob people eye up and then go one touch one pass two pass shot goal we, we corral people, as Paul alluded to, and all that does is that plays the ball to our controllers. And our controllers at the back end of the pitch, <clears throat> excuse me, Ben White, Gabriel, and probably a bit of party, and Shaka. And they are the controllers. So we just want to get the ball into their hands, even the goalkeeper's hands, right, literally. And that's when we, that's how we control the game. So if we get it, yeah. in, if, we, if we get it to those guys who can really look after it, they look really comfortable on it, like deep midfields in possession, our centre backs do. And then what they're looking, we're a team that plays around and we play through. Now that's who we are. And if, if you don't contract on us quickly enough, we're going to play through you. If you try to squeeze our star boys to the touchline and they get their heads up and go past a couple, it's all on. It's all on. If you notice, a lot of teams are tripling up on those on those wide boys because they know we can screw into a touchline. What does Shaka do? He's like an eel. Spring, 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 and he's out. And he gets rid of it quickly, gets it back. Combination. One, two. Now we're off and running. So you got, teams are going to have to really gamble on that and make it work. And if I'm the manager now, I'm saying, look, I want my two boys out there protected. You know, you're letting people kick them. You know, and you, I want them protected. I want cards on these people. It's not just what cards we get. He's got to start selling to the FA. You're allowing these boys to be kicked. I think Saka or Martelli are one of the highest foul players in the league. I'm not sure which one it is. That needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with because as soon as he gets that freedom on people on cards, we're going to get in a lot more. So control, for me, the transformation has always been at the back. You know my thoughts there. The purchases tell us so. The control comes from there. and It's how we play through. And I think we need to look at it slightly differently although i'm equally obsessed about the fact we just sent a forward we just have to park it because the youth drug is not dropping into lacazette any moment soon right so we're gonna have to park it for now and just hope we can do enough to get us where we want to get to the funny thing is my biggest criticism of lacazette forget the missed chance like again even the best strikers will miss chances it's painful and he has to score it but it happens it's to me, the single biggest flaw in his game is just how rarely he gets his shot off in the box. We had a number of moves during a good period in the first half and the really good period to start the second half where we got the ball to Lacazette in the channel, in the box, where he could have taken a snapshot. He, you know, he could have pushed it out of his feet and taken a shot. And shots from inside the box, what do they do? They rebound. They they 
you know, deflect and go in. They fall to Martinelli at the back post. And he, how many times did he feed it back to Odegaard, feed it out to Saka, feed it out to Cedric? And I just, that's the thing that I think missing from his game for a player who used to be a really great striker of the ball and who liked to get his shot off. He does not get his shot off. The only time I see him take shot, honestly, is when he strides onto it and hits it first time. If he has to collect the ball, he's not going to shoot. And that, yeah. that is, yeah, go ahead. Uh, my only thought is, and it's just the way I, I, I sort of look at the game, and apologies that no, no one looks at it like I do, <laughs> but I sort of know him. Do you know what I mean? And I sort of, my mind sort of closes down on the players that are in the 30s or, or late 20s who who have already told us who they are. And I look at that area of the pitch, I say, okay, who's here for a bit? That Odegaard guy's here for a bit. Three throws guy here for a bit. Saka Martinelli. Where have they got to go? Because their their games, how they transform, are going to transform us, right? We've got a seventy-two million pound player on the bench. Is there any is there any juice left in that orange? Can we look at him and manipulate him into this into this game, into this system, into this team? Because he can shoot and he can travel and he can cause danger. That's not a bad ingredient to have. Is he any good anymore? Is he invested as a manager invested in him? That's the sort of stuff in my mind. I think Lacazette is doing an unbelievable leadership role, which has football limitations that I think we all know. And I, I can't see it changing, Elliot, to be honest with me. Yeah. You, you want to hear a great piece of data that, that I get from Matt from when we did the, um, the data mm. review? I love this, okay? Alexander Lacazette is in the 67th percentile for touches in the box. So for a guy who drops in a lot, that's not bad, right? He's getting touches in the box. He is in the fourth percentile for shots. 67th percentile for touches in the box. Fourth percentile. Basically as bad as it gets, essentially, for shots among strikers. Which means it's not that he's not getting there. In fact, for someone who drops in, he's probably getting there a really nice amount. He is not converting those touches into shots. Can I say something? Please, please do, Paul. So, like, we're still getting 14 shots, right? on average, per game, um, it's almost like it's by design, okay? Um, and, and I feel this way, like, don't get me wrong, I'd love an upgrade on Lacazette. He could be more deadly. <laughs> Anybody could be more deadly. What he does that's good is actually what's important to us at the moment. He's getting Martinelli, he's getting Saka, he's getting the guys into position, and I really do think, like, I just think for the next 16 games, don't drive yourself nuts over it. Drive yeah. yourself nuts over it during the transfer window in the summer. <laughs> this kind of works for us. And I think there's two areas of the pitch. This works for us in attack. It's almost like he pulls out of the center, he withdraws, he collapses that area, which opens it up for the other guys to get in behind. And they do. And we get our shots. Why are we worried? We're getting our goals. When Lacazette plays, we average, we didn't yet, yesterday, we average two and a half goals per game <clears throat> uh, when he's our striker. Unlike when Aubameyang played, when we averaged about one game, per, uh, one goal per game. <clears throat> now, again, small sample size. Who was missing when this guy played? Versus, but like, for now anyway, I'm like... <clears throat> It's a watching brief. I'm not going to lose my shit over the fact that it's not Lacazette scoring. It's not Lacazette getting the the shots. I don't care. I'm an Arsenal supporter. I like good football. I like us getting shots. 
it's all mostly working most of the time when he has the players around him yeah, to play. I, and I think midfields like this too, like same deal with with Chak and our midfield, right? Um, and in fact, Party and Chak, Party didn't have his best game ever yesterday. Chaka certainly didn't. But like every time those guys play together in midfield, we're basically good, even if they're not that great. Even where if we need to be for now. We're where, yeah. where we need to be for now. I, We're I would solid talk, and it works yeah. and the structure works. Yeah. I, and the star boys get to be star boys. And uh, I, I guess. That's who I'd we are say, right now. Yeah. I, I would summarize I, it this way, Paul. I would yeah. say every single person listening to this podcast knows the two positions we want to improve. We yeah. can't do that till the summer. So yeah. can we be uh, good enough sure. with who we have? And I yeah. think we just nor, about can. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I, I like, I don't. Don't think these guys shouldn't be criticized or we shouldn't. I just think I, I see a lot of obsession as if if this doesn't get fixed out there in the Twitters, if Lacazette doesn't score, it doesn't matter. Lacazette may never score another goal for us as long as the other guys I, I do. I think that's possible, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it might even be the plan. No, I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to hijack the podcast either, but I think um, Please do. this is why last night, I sort of had a little focus on Odegaard um, because I'm looking almost everywhere else but Lacazette because I know what he's doing. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think there's room to get more out of Odegaard and maybe Smith-Rowe, for example, and or maybe Smith-Rowe. I think there's room, there's room there with intent and emphasis on not just your XG build-up and creativity, but your how many shots are you having, Sam? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think there's opportunities there to be a bit more aggressive uh, in the last third. And when you have a striker that's a non-shooting <laughs> striker that's that's feeling that's to, got to the number nine, <laughs> that's got his number nine on his back, and we've accepted that, and he does other things for the team which are intangible. Then the guy with the number, you know, who's playing a, almost like a number ten ish. But he needs to really be aggressive and get in there. That's my opinion anyway. Can I ask you a question about that? Because you mentioned it last night. I was thinking about this. One of the things that that may be an issue, and I'm curious if you see it this way. Like I watched last night what Odegaard was doing. And, you know, Lacazette drops in. And as a result, he's often arriving in the box late. Now, think of like a more traditional striker role. The striker makes the deepest run. And the number 10 or the, the 8 or whatever makes the second man run. And so the pullback comes to him. When Saka beats a man and pulls it back, the pullback's going, like Lacazette is making basically the second man run. I don't know if it leaves as much room. Do you see what I'm saying? Like Odegaard winds up a few yards further, higher up the, or further back in the pitch because Lacazette is, is almost making the role, making the run of yeah. a second man run, a later run, which means I'm not exactly sure. I mean, here's the crazy thing, right? Odegaard takes as many shots per 90 as Lacazette. And that's yeah. not saying much. It's about a shot and a half. But like, could, could, if if we had a striker that was maybe getting to the back post or the near post or whatever it was, then would you see more of Odegaard arriving late and you know yeah. and, and getting those shots from pullbacks and stuff? Yeah, if you think about the, the goal that Odegaard scored, I think it was uh, Everton. It was a cutback, but there was a there was a forward ahead of him, you know, that collapses the defence. And this is a problem. They both want the cutback, and so the coaching message would be: got to be more aggressive in the last third. You've got to be more aggressive. You've got to run through. Complete your runs. Don't run and stop. Complete them. You know, it's something that we, I talk about, we talk about a lot in the football that I'm involved in. 
Don't completely run to the back post, completely run, collapse defence, create two lanes for a cutback. We've got to complete your run. And then Saka can come off the side, Martinelli can come off the side and whip the ball in first time. But you don't have that aggression at the point. I don't care if you get it, but just complete your run, drive people back. Don't always wait for the perfect moment for you. Sometimes you've got to make a run for the defenders. And I think that's what that's what we need to do a little bit more of. And I think we'd get better shot quality, Elliot. I know we're quite good at that after talking to you yourself and Matt, or not talking to you, listening to you. Mm. I know we're quite good at that, but I want more of it. And that only happens when you run to distract. Uh, I don't think we do enough of that, in my opinion. Yeah, Paul, you want to add on that? And we will get on to the second half, the, the red card stuff and all that. That's That's really, I think a meaty discussion. So I don't want to put that too far back, but you want to add on to this? Yeah, just quickly. Look, I think what we are doing is what Arteta tried to do when he had Aubameyang and Lacazette on the pitch. And we were all going nuts about why is Aubameyang playing as a left wide forward. Martinelli's that guy now. And he, he may not be a better player than Aubameyang or a better finisher. Though I think he he might be right now. Yeah, he might be right now. But he plays that role far better. He's your forward. He's the guy getting into the six-yard box. He's the guy hovering for the shot. Now, uh, the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll add is I'm just looking back at the games since it kind of clicked. And so from FB Ref, here are our shots per game. So that was they have it as 12 against Burnley, 20, sorry, 12 against Wolves, 20 against Burnley. This is working back to our games. Yeah. Seven against City, we can understand why, um, and that was a good game for us. Uh, 15 against Norwich, 21 against Leeds, 20 against West Ham, 15 against Southampton, 10 against Everton. We were poor, yeah, we know true. that. <laughs> 17 against that United, 24 against Newcastle. We don't have a shot problem in the second half of the season. We just don't. I agree with that, yeah. But, but I mean, and again, to be clear, like, I think the attack has, I mean, I've been saying this for a while. I I think that what we last saw from Arsenal in the league before the weird January stuff was a team that can attack effectively, even if we don't have all the pieces collectively we want. Do I think that Lacazette going from one shot a game to three shots? I mean, in this game, by the way, Lacazette had four shots. And if you look at it, you know, one of them is probably should have been a goal. One's hit straight at the, at the keeper, but like, I think Lacazette was dangerous enough in this game. The irony is if Lacazette just puts away his one-on-one versus the keeper, right? We're probably saying, hey, he's important to the goal we score. He got into some good positions. He winds up getting in behind the defense, makes a you know a good run in behind the defense and scores a goal. That miss definitely colors the conversation. I don't I don't want to bog down here though. Well, Can yeah, I just say one last thing? Down. Before... Yes. Let's let's I, what I want to do is bog <laughs> down here. Can you can we stay on this topic? Yeah, because I think we're gonna be just... doing this every podcast, Clive. You know that, right? It's gonna be yeah. the Lacazette cast for the rest uh, of the And season. I want to come back <laughs> on Clive's point. <laughs> it's not Lacazette because i I know who he is, right? So the key thing is for me um, is is Martinelli. We lost him for periods in this game. We can't lose him. I, he's too good. No, we lost and, him in this game. <laughs> yeah, but we, we can't lose him. He's too good. We, he's yeah. too far in the extremities for me. So you heard my chat the other week about the forward styles. If he's our wing forward and you have Sacco as your outside wing forward, then he needs to be nearer the goal in his starting position. We, for me, we have a problem around left back space and left <laughs> left centre mid. I don't, I don't think, think it was a great are. Tierney game. To that point. Yeah, I, I think we have a problem there. That's what I'm going to say. I think we're a bit leaden booted in that area. And I think we could do a little bit of oomph. Right? So how we do it, I don't see it in the squad, I'm afraid. But um, there, 
I think we have some a bit more transition and speed and athleticism in that space. I think Martelli's starting position would be different, and I think he could be anything he wants to be. We can't have him in situations by the touchline continuously. That's not going to work. We're talking about a shot killer, shot monster guy. Make him a priority in this team. You know, we just got rid of our 32-year-old captain, ex-captain. Make him a priority. Make sure he has rose petals all around him so he gets near that box. And other people got to carry the water for him. Yeah. And for the record, I, the one thing, you know, styles make games, um, tactics make games. I do wonder, you know, we do like to overlap Tierney so we can push Gabriel, uh, uh, Martinelli, pardon me, closer to goal. I do wonder if the fact that they had a back three and they had wing backs and we had to be more worried about the space behind Tierney meant he didn't get as advanced as he want, which meant Martinelli wasn't able to push his central. I do think we had a few situations where he got into those positions, as I mentioned earlier, where he could make the run he wants to make and Shaka just didn't wasn't able to quite pick the pick the pass. Um, uh, two things. One, Thomas Party. I don't want to get into it as a topic, but one thing I think about this role, I think Mikel Arteta is paying Thomas Party a huge compliment because I think what he's realized is this guy can control the center of the pitch for us. This guy can be the hub of our passing game. Um, he, What he's giving him with this new system where Shaka plays just a little bit more advanced is that the next ball is is the ball party wants to play, right? Shift the ball to a foot and play it to a player ahead of him, advance the pass instead of everything being square. And I think it makes us a lot more press resistant. I I think if you try to press us now, he's got two options ahead of him that you can move it and we're past your press. So I'm curious to see how that develops. Paul, before we um, hit a break here and and talk about the second half, you know, I I listened to the Arscast and and I know that they were a little bit critical of the the long throw stuff and the towels and the Rory Delap, shades of Rory Delap. But I, I will say this. We need to manufacture goals any way we can, right? We're not going to be prolific. We're going to do the best we can. Sometimes we might be, but we know what the limitations are. I think our corner kicks have looked better. We get a goal from a corner. I think both Martinelli and Saka's deliveries have been excellent. We've mostly abandoned the short corners. We're putting in good in-swingers to, you know, some big guys who are good in the air. But, you know, if you got to use long throws, every time the ball goes out of play or there's a stoppage of play, it's an opportunity for you to do something you've practiced that gives you an edge against the defense because they don't know what that is, and you do. And if that's how we have to manufacture goals or opportunities, you know, it didn't happen from the long throws, but, like, I get that it's a little bit grotty and, and, you know, a little bit lowbrow from a football standpoint, but I like us trying to find edge, extra edge, anywhere we can. And if that comes from throw-ins and set pieces and corner kicks and stuff, so be it. Yeah, look, it's a whole area of a game. Uh, I mean, Liverpool have a throw-in coach. You know, (laughs) I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's like 30% of goals or something come from set pieces, either directly or shortly after. Like, it's a whole area of the game you don't leave untapped. And uh, I like all goals. Like, I'll I'll welcome them into my home and raise them as my own. I I don't, you know, I don't care who the father is. I don't care how they came about. Um, If one-third of your goals come from those kinds of uh, of activities and areas, the two-thirds that come from elsewhere, you you might be a goal up at that point. You can really start playing your football. Uh, we, as you said, we have a set-piece coach. In his uh, post-match um, interview uh, pitch side, Arteta talked about the importance of set-pieces, and that's both ends of the pitch. Like We're very good at defending corners and free kicks, 
I mean, it doesn't feel like that after a game like that. Um, there are you could pick pick five, six, seven moments where it could have gone the other way, and we concede. But that's every team, and we're good at it. We're good both ends of the pitch. Um, it, we have we have Saka from one side. We usually have Smithrow or Martinelli banging them in from the other side, so that they're in swingers. They generally miss the first man and get into dangerous spots. That's how we got our goal in this game. I'm all for it, and it, it's even if that's not the the goal or the type of goal you love. The other goals you get because you're one goal up because you can play your football are the types of goal you you want, and the movements that get us up the pitch as well to get yourself into those positions that you're taking a corner kick or whatever. Like there's some really nice play building up to that as we sweep through them and around them. The the toothpaste is is strong these days as we move from one end of the pitch to the other and gets us into those positions. Yeah. Uh, I could not be more for it. Yeah, and, and I mean, th- there are lots of ways you can create goals, <clears throat> but I don't think any of us would object to any of the goals we create. Um, Imagine like, what it'll be like when we have a guy who <laughs> can head the ball in the back of the net. I mean, we didn't have that with Aubameyang either. Uh, he was tall enough, and you add a, you add his hairdos on top. He should have been banging them in all over the place. But we, it's been a while since we've had a guy. Uh, I can't remember the last one. Would it be Giroud Elliot, who was who Doesn't had that part? No, who has that part of his game that he can add in? But we've got Gabriel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Ben White wins that header for uh, for this situation. Gabriel's up. Uh, we've got some guys who can head. It'll be nice when we have our Vlahovic, uh, Dominic Calvert, I don't Lewin, even want it, it honestly. I, I don't care if we score headed goals or not. You can get them from set pieces from your defenders. I just want to, you know, create more chances, take more shots, score more goals, however they come. Let's uh, let's start to shift the conversation. Um, you know, and and I think, look, we can shift the conversation. We can talk about, you know, pretty goals, ugly goals. You know, did, did did this one look quite right? Did that one look quite right? But like the one thing that should look right are your privates. And the only way you're going to get there is if you're properly grooming. Look, it's almost Valentine's Day. It's time to start thinking about whether you are the gift that you want to give your partner. And if you don't have a partner, are you the gift to yourself? Self-love is important. Or are you the gift to give to a new partner? Maybe it is the season to find new love. And, and however you do it, you know, I, I think it is fair to say that uh, personal grooming is a key piece of the puzzle. And who does it better than Manscaped? No one, I would submit. I love the Lawnmower 4.0. I use it. I have it. It is the best. Ceramic blades and a long battery life and wet dry operability and a great light so I can see what I'm doing because, you know, let's face it, there are nooks and crannies. You, you got to see where you're going. This is all getting really unpleasant, deeply, deeply unpleasant. But The moral of the story is it is the best tool I've ever used for grooming, and it comes with uh, different sizing guards, so you can do all different parts of your body. Uh, It has the induction charger. You just sit it in the cradle. Button lock, so if you're traveling with it, it doesn't start grooming all the stuff in your bag, unless you want it to. You can do that. Uh, So yeah, it is just a perfect purpose-built device for grooming. You should be using it by now. And if you get the Performance Package 4.0, you get their tonics and their lotions and their colognes and a shed bag that you can travel with, and it just has it all. This is a company that makes the best products for taking care of of your grooming. Is that saying? And like the dumb thing is you're going to groom anyway. So why not get the product that's best for it and save 20% when you go to manscaped.com, use promo code Arsenal Vision, get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. So you don't pay shipping, get 20% off and get the perfect product to do the job. 
manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off free shipping. Do it now. And oh, by the way, another thing you might want to do is find the best talent. We may have the best talent in the Premier League. I don't know. That's debatable. Maybe it's not even debatable. But you may not have the best talent in your business. And if you do need the best talent in your business, there's no one better to rely on than Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else, or else, you don't pay. You don't pay. You get what you want, you pay. You don't get what you want, you don't pay. Life should work like that. Usually doesn't, does with Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find the right candidate with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. All of it. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. You can invite them to apply right away. You only pay for quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. So that basically your, your post gets, you know, super posted, boosted. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 sponsored job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. He nailed it. He always nails it. He always comes through right when we need him to. <clears throat> Clive. Before we hit the red card, the goal. I, I got to say, like, everybody loves Benjamin White. Why wouldn't you? He's great. What a signing. Everybody, lo- everybody loves Martin Odegaard. What a signing. Everybody loves Takahiro Tomiyasu. What a signing. I hear all about our signings. Maybe because we had a bad season last season. Maybe because it was a disappointment. Maybe because we were still going through the trials and tribulations of the, the ups and downs of David Luiz that we didn't really notice it. And Pablo Marie was still a thing. Gabriel Magalhães was a sensational transfer that I think has not been celebrated enough. He is easily a player of the season candidate for us. He wins us this game at both ends. And I think no matter how much we love him, we maybe don't love him and celebrate his, his signing enough. It is, it is a, a game where he, he shithouses, he, go, he scores, he defends, he does it all. And I, I just I think this is a game where, once again, we are looking at this player and saying that this is one of the unsung leaders and and best players that we have. Yeah, I think he's been our best defender from the moment he walked in. And he with without you know, he's been a few issues there. It's almost though we can't quite believe how good he is for twenty six million, whatever it was. Um, okay, Lil got their money out of us in the other transfer, but <laughs> we got we got if you level it up, it's probably about right. Um so so yeah, he's a very he, he for me, he just, we just don't, if you tell me now, one player we don't want to see go down, it's him, isn't it? You know, there is, he is the tip person that holds this together. And I think I did note before the break, he was getting a little bit leggy. He wasn't the only one, by the way, mm. getting a little bit leggy and maybe Ramsdale's a little bit off as well. And, um, but they were both back in this game, super sharp, back on it again. And what I like about him is, he plays like he's always wanted to play for Arsenal, if that makes sense. He he seems really invested, you know, and it comes across that way. And because of that, I think the fans are invested in him. You know, I think there's definitely a connection with him and the crowd, particularly the away crowd. It's not the first time we've seen him dive in there. I think he is a 
someone we can build our team around for many, many years. And yeah, let's just hope for good health and, and fortune, really, because I think the way he plays is exactly how we want that player to play. You know, and if he ever had an athletic left-footed or right-footed centre midfielder in front of him taking a bit of stress away, then maybe his hairline wouldn't be so bad for a 23-year-old. It'd be fine because he has really got a lot going for him, not just defensively, but how he progresses the ball, which is, as we know, is equally as important in the modern game. So, um, yeah, top signing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the irony is, like, if I told you he was 50 million, worth it. I told you it was 60 million. And you're, you're still probably saying worth it at his age, at the quality he's playing. Like, I, I just, for whatever the reason, I think the the exceptional value we got from that signing has has sort of flown under the radar while we've celebrated other really good signings, to be fair. Um, but maybe because it was lost in the muck of what last season and some of the some of the players we had there were, were involved with. But, all right, Paul. So I'm going to say something controversial. I think up until the point where Martinelli gets sent off, I think Michael Oliver is having a good game. By and large, mm-hmm. Martinelli gets fouled early. Could have been a red card, a yellow card. Pardon me. In the first like five minutes, he doesn't give it. Mostly keeps his cards in his pocket. Tries not to show them. I thought he did a good job being a little bit. You know, he gives Party a yellow because I think he had let a couple others go, and he felt like you know what, I got to give a yellow somewhere. I got to keep the game controlled. I get that. Um, gave Cedric a talking to when he couldn't give him a yellow. I actually thought we were maybe getting a little bit more fortunate with the calls than they were. And then in the second half. Starting really early on, we make the decision to start doing the time-wasting thing. Now, this is part of the game. I have wanted us to engage in the dark arts for ages and the shithousing for ages. It felt a bit early, and Ramsdale was doing it, and Gabriel uh, Gabriel does it, and we started just really, I think, being, for lack of a better word, probably annoying to Oliver, and the, the crowd's getting on him, and it's putting pressure on him to do something. And I think all of that builds up to what is ultimately Michael Oliver losing himself in the moment. When Martinelli commits those fouls, in the moment, if you were in my head, like scariest hypothetical imaginable, you're in my head. As he does the first one, I'm like, well, there's Martinelli's yellow. As he does the second in my head, I'm like, oh, there's another yellow. It never occurred to me that they'd both be given because you just don't see it done. And I do wonder if the way we'd raise the temperature and the way we were sort of niggling and being, you know, being a little bit cute pushed Oliver to lose his composure in the moment and decide, you know what? You guys think you're cute. These are two yellows and I'm sending them off. But uh, do you want to go through with me your thought process on the actual events as they unfolded, but then Oliver's decision to do something you just never see done? Uh, Well, I'm going to say something controversial, which is basically I agree with your premise. I think... Wow, okay. (laughs) I think, Mike, and because yours is controversial, I guess mine must be too, or maybe that makes it not controversial. We'll we'll find out. People are not shy about letting us know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think Michael Oliver is wound up. I think we have wound him up by kind of pushing it with the we've had i think three yellow cards four yellow cards at this point chaka party uh cedric maybe somebody else uh ramsdale winding him up gabrielle i think gabrielle really overdid it uh unnecessarily with the kind of the slow kickouts all that stuff and then this martinelli moment and i think he's well wound up mm-hmm and we saw a referee do something I've never seen a referee do before, and nobody's going to convince me that somebody hasn't done two yellow card offenses 
including kicking a ball away after you've hacked a guy down. Um, that doesn't amount to two yellow cards. We've seen it easily a hundred times in the Premier League. We ju- it's just not something you store and call to mind. People have come up with a couple of examples, but they weren't actually equivalent examples. It was normally a yellow card, the referee has signaled it, and then another quick yellow card afterwards. Um, but to to be storing one, to have one in your back pocket for when you need it, um, a mulligan of a yellow card to throw in there. Look, the guy was wound up. His job is to keep 11 players on the pitch uh, as a referee. Uh, unless the, like you keep the game, the int- the integrity of the game, the balance of the game where you can. Now, uh, if the the team takes that away from you, if you don't have much of a choice, then you don't have much of a choice. He had all the choices in the world. He was wound up. He went, here's one and here's one for earlier, yeah, bastard. And basically we got our red card. Um, now, the thing is, uh, and people may, some people may find this a little annoying or upsetting that I would go there, but I think it's best that you feel you have some control over things and like we can do this shit better. I don't think we're very good at shit housing. Um, I don't think we're very good at uh, avoiding the second yellow for the red, but that doesn't apply to the Martinelli case. But I think we could have shit housed leading up to it just as effectively uh, without antagonizing the crowd, the 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 ref to the same degree. We can get a lot better at this. We can develop. You got to do the dark arts to develop them. We're terrible at dark arts. We're the worst. We would not survive wizard school. Um, <laughs> we're just miles off. We'll get a lot better, and may, maybe that'll involve bringing in a couple more deceitful, crafty players um, who get away with things that we see other teams do and other players for other teams do, and we're like, how the fuck did he get away with from that? And I don't think it's all about the shirt. I don't think the referees actually care that much about the shirt. Like, it might be something about Arsenal, but it's not because we're called Arsenal. Uh, we're at the Emirates. Um that people don't like Arsene Wenger and that, uh, you know, our our shirts are red and we've, we've the Canada. There's something about Arsenal we're doing wrong. There's something maybe about Arsenal and, and our approach to football that referees don't like. We don't foul a lot. We don't get that many yellow cards, but we do get a lot of red cards, I think. Now, you have your own view on that, but I think if you look at it over the years – we get more than our fair share of red cards, especially compared to the, our number of yellows and fouls. We're generally one of the cleaner teams. Uh, we're generally the team that gets kicked, and yet we're the ones with the red cards. There's something we can do better, better craft. Um, but in this particular game, we, maybe we could have shit has better, but that is an absolutely fucking ridiculous decision by the referee. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, Clive... I, I guess the point is, I'm open to the idea that both fouls are yellow cards. And I am open to the idea that by the laws of the game, from people that I've seen posting this who tend to be really good students of the laws of the game, he is entitled to get both yellow cards. But like, refereeing is also sort of about convention and culture and expectation. Players 
play the game in the expectation of knowing what, what's going to happen as the outcome of their behavior. And so what I would say is the fact that you never, ever, ever, ever see this given means it is a very harsh thing to do because if this is the kind of thing that was given regularly, I think Martinelli is a lot more clever about what he does with the second foul. And I should point out, by the way, having watched it again, if Martinelli just lets that guy go, we're furious with him in that situation. He has to intervene there. So it feels very harsh, even if you believe it's within the laws and even if you believe they're both yellows, the act of giving both yellows is the part that I just can't. I think Oliver got caught up in the moment and lost himself. Yeah, I think um, the laws of the game shouldn't protect Oliver, Oliver from his responsibility to manage the game. And I think in this case, he didn't manage the game appropriately. I, You know my thoughts around sending players off, that distortion of the game is too big. And I'm wondering if the whole process around sending a player off should be done more collaboratively with the assistants, etc., or VAR, I don't know. I think it's a bigger moment than it used to be. And um, because coaching's so good now, teams drop away and the whole product is changed in front of you. I don't think a lot of the red cards that we've had have been for double yellows and all stupid fouls on the extremities of the team. And so what happens is almost every one of those, the cards come out so quickly I could barely believe it. It's just like, and it feels emotional to me. And people do what they're allowed to do. So if you go to work and your boss turns up at nine, you turn up at five two nine, right? So if he turns up at eight, you turn up at five two eight. It feels as though it's okay to do this to Arsenal. There is a trend that we are the team that it's okay to do this to. I watch other games. I watch lots of other games. I see things happen on the pitch. And I'm watching it. And I don't expect them to get the cards that we get. I, I'm, I'm conditioned. Do you know what I mean? I'm almost conditioned and I'm watching. You know, there was a foul in, in this game. By the way, I'm not calling for yellow cards that don't need to be given. But Martinelli is driving down the left wing and Kilman just chops him knee yeah, that's high. Like, what, five minutes into the game, right? Yeah, Before chops him knee high. And he and Martinelli turns around. It's a definite booking. He turns around, looks at the ref. The ref just gives a foul and doesn't even talk to Kilman. He doesn't even say to him, mate, naughty transition foul. You've got one. Next one. He just carries on. So Martinelli's thinking, geez, man, I've got no protection here. I've got some guy there, six or 100, just chopped me down the knee. What do I do? Do you know what I mean? And um, these frustrations build up in players. And um, for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a poor, out-of-context refereeing decision. Just because the laws allow you to do it, you don't have to do it. The way that frame was taken, it was not a legal throw. Stop the bleeding game. Book him for affecting the throwing. I've never seen advantage given on a on a foul throw before. Have you ever seen that? You know, yeah. I've never seen it. Never seen it in my life. Oh, I tell you what, I'm gonna play advantage. What are you, what are you doing? Are you managing? It's almost like the last lap of the Formula One. Are you just managing it for effect to see what actually happens here? You can't. You can't do that. You can't do that. There are rules. You have to adhere to them. You can't manufacture some form of entertainment because you fancy it. And then if it, if it breaks down further, I've decided now I'm going to pull on my knowledge of the game to affect the game. Who the hell do you think you are? Manage the bleeding game, give a yellow card and get on with it. Get out of the way because the players with a real talent, well, I want to see them. I don't want to see you. 
You know, there's too much of that. There's too much of that. There's too much of that happening to us. And we've got to we've got to do something about it to not make it so easy to do that to Arsenal Football Club. Part of that is by standing up for ourselves off the pitch, by going to see the, the relevant organisations. And some of that is by being a damn good team. So the referees want to be in, involved in our games because they're the big games. And I want to go and, I want to see Arsenal v Chelsea because it's now a big game again. So I better look at them in a slightly different light. So relevancy will help us manage these moments and manage these margins. At the moment, these margins are going against us. And I'm not seeing I'm not seeing too many two footy tackles that make that. I'm not seeing too many two feet fouls that I can really look at it and say, you know what, that's us. That's on us. Don't always look at ourselves. You know, we have a tendency to look at ourselves and look at what we can do better. And we lack maturity on some occasions. Absolutely. Let's have a look at the people that are actually doing it to us and say, do you have another way to manage the game? And a lot of these occasions there is another way to manage the game and they've chosen to maximize the punishment on us when i don't think it's always required yeah <clears throat> i so i'm gonna make a point that's not gonna be popular but first i'll make this point i don't think you should be sent off there i don't think you ever see it done it's against the conventions of the game and the culture of the game and if players aren't able to know what the ramifications of their actions are then how are they supposed to behave appropriately I think both of the actions are potentially yellow cards. That doesn't change my conclusion. I just I want to stop short of this, and I want to make this point. People aren't going to like this. People get really upset at this. But I want to address the issue of like a conspiracy against Arsenal. So I looked at data going back 10, 11 years. First of all, there is no correlation between the number of red cards given and the number of fouls a team commits. Quite frequently, the team with the fewest fouls in the league winds up with the most or near the most red cards and vice versa. There's no correlation between cards, yellow cards and red cards. We are near the bottom of the league in yellow cards and have been for several years. The problem you have is that a league season is over 3,400 minutes. And in 3,400 minutes, the most red cards in a season is going to be about five. And the fewest is going to be about one or two. And so you were talking about a difference of three incidents in 3,400 minutes. And then extrapolating out from that whether that's bias or not. I started at 11-12, 2011-2012. Four red cards, middle of the table. Five red cards first. Four red cards, middle of the table. Two red cards, bottom of the table. Four red cards. Three, two, two. In the last three seasons, five, five, and now three this season. Now, I realize five sounds like a lot when the average for a season is right around 3.2 or three, okay? But it's two extra incidents in 3,400 minutes of football. And, you know, there are seasons there where we get two red cards and you're at the bottom of the table. You get two more of them, you're near the top. So it is really hard to extrapolate bias from so few incidents. You know, the funny thing is if we don't get a red card the rest of the season, which is entirely possible— We'll finish on three for the season, and we'll be right in the middle of the pack. Now, I realize it feels like more because we got the two in the cups leading up to this. I I just feel that we have been very unfortunate with calls very recently that feel like the harshest punishment available. And yet, I don't see a statistical 
analysis that suggests they're out to get Arsenal. I think we've been on the wrong end of it. And and by the way, if you disagree, totally fine. You know, how do you prove bias? How do you not prove bias? I don't know. I just think, I think part of it too is if I feel there's bias, it ruins the sport for me. If I feel when we step on the pitch, the ability to compete and win is not within our control, that there are forces out there that will prevent us from doing that, then I don't want to watch. I don't want to support. I don't want to be a part of it. Because if it's not in your control, then what is the point? And so that's why I tend to take this analysis from the perspective of wanting to see how it's in our control. Now, in this case, I can look and I could say, Martinelli does two rash things that are two yellows. But the reason I don't feel this was in our control is, how can Martinelli expect to be sent off there when no one else does? So, Paul, that's that maybe explains my mindset, which is I think this is a wrong call. I stop short of bias. And maybe I don't want to see bias because if there is bias, then it means... Our ability to go out and control our destiny doesn't exist. And that that is the hope. One of the reasons we are so drawn to sport and drawn to football is in life, there's so much that's unfair, that feels out of our control. But on a, on a pitch, you know, you feel like the players can go, you know, decide who's better over 90 minutes. And I need to believe that that's the case. Yeah. Look, there is no cabal of 12-foot-tall lizard men meeting once a month no, wait, out. that there is. It's just not oh, around okay. football. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure they, you know, they enjoy a bit of sport on the side. I'm sure they put aside <laughs> some time to screw over Arsenal. The, like, it might work against Arsenal, but it's not necessarily biased. It might, like, if you're a very light, flighty, fancy team that's not very good at, at doing uh, dangerous tackles. Also and, young, by the way. Right, yeah. not you know, not as known to the referees. You don't have the relationship yet. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's kind of that'd be a recency factor. Like it's been for years and years, and years. like you added up over a decade or two, um, like it's a recurring theme. Hence, you think, oh, there's a conspiracy. I, there might be a thing going on. There might be something about Arsenal and the way the game is refereed, and our like our styles have changed a bit. Uh, between Emery and and Arteta and Wenger, uh, and yet we're still getting. Doesn't matter who the manager is; it feels we're still getting the red cards. That might be something to look into. But I remember plenty of red cards under Unai Emery too, or at least them not going away. Um, but maybe one of those good years was under Unai. It may just be our approach to football and the fact that we're not. This is not something that's particularly in our. Um, our repertoire. So when we do it, we look ungain. Like there might be something about Arsenal, but there isn't a cabal of twelve foot tall lizard men meeting to screw us over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so it can be true that we have had some harsh calls go against us without it being true. There's a conspiracy. And by the way, if you're like, no, there's bias. I believe there's bias, and I think it's clear. Like that's fine. I guess the other thing I'd ask is, like, it's in the Premier League's best interest for there to be a good top four race that includes some of the most popular clubs in world football, of which we are one. It's in UEFA's best interest for us to be in the Champions League, right? I mean, like, there, there's no clear reason I could see why one of the most popular teams in football not succeeding would benefit any league or, you know, any organization. So we don't know. We'll never know. It's not provable. It's not unprovable. I, I do think that we have to try to control the things we can control. In this instance, I don't think it was within our, within our control. You know, I mean, like, the, the yellow card Shaka gets, for example, you know, that's one of those moments where I'm like, well, if he gets sent off for something silly later, you can't really have much complaint. Now, we didn't. 
You know, Gabriel gets a, a silly time-wasting yell. I'm not sure he even deserved it, to be fair. But he stays on the pitch. But what really encourages me, and why I think Michael Oliver did us a favor, I think two things. One, we were hard done by. They're out to get us. And you know what? We won anyway. We overcame. It is a huge opportunity, Clive, to create solidarity, an us-against-them mentality, an us-against-the-world mentality, to you know, really get the Emirates crowd fired up, to get Arsenal supporters unified, to rally the group. We have nine days off now, but they'll be... They'll be buzzing from this result and wanting to push on. It gives us a really good beachhead from which to really storm the top four chase that we that we desperately want. And so, would I have chosen to have a man set off? No. But if I could do this game exactly like this over again, I might do it. So Martinelli misses Brentford at home. Okay. But you now get this sense of outrage. Maybe the referees are a little more careful about red carding us now that there's focus on it. Maybe now there's this, there's this bulletin board material that creates a solidarity. And Clive, I really... I mean, I was so fired up at full time. Maybe in a way I wouldn't have been without the red card. And the players certainly looked at too, to the point that, you know, you got Watford players like Ruben Neves saying, oh, they look like they won the title. Well, sorry you didn't win, buddy. Um, so I, I don't know. Do, do you think he was that he celebrated the fact that we thought it was a big deal to beat their team. And then he talked about how it showed how wolves have come on a long way. Yeah, yeah literally shows how good we are because they were happy they beat us. Yeah. I get it. Uh, so Clive, I mean, do you think... Do you think just from a, a psychological standpoint, from a team bonding standpoint, from a solidarity standpoint, Oliver has handed us something here that we can use to motivate? Yeah, we said this last night, didn't we? I think I think there's a chance there. I think there's there's something growing in, in the group, in the club. We've been saying that all season. And this is a journey that we've got over this time, unlike the City game, where we didn't quite make it towards the end and we just had the the memories of a good 45, 55 minutes, right? So this time we had a result to hold on to. And that's the key thing now, to turn this growth and potential into results. And I think I was speaking to Andrew earlier and I sort of said to him, because I don't know why I was so nervous about this game. Why well, I was really nervous and stressed about this game. And the reason why is I think I think we're pretty close to really investing, you know, really investing. We're all invested, right? That's why we're on a podcast, God's sake. But <laughs> but it's like really investing, and we wanna we we we're close. We know this team is close. We can see it's it's much better than it was. We know just due to the age of the squad, it's going to be better still. We know where we're not complete, and we're trying to manage that in our own minds. And we are close, and it means something. And these decisions do mean something. We don't win that game last night. The Tony's podcast is completely different. It's completely different. And we'll be far more aggressive in our discussion about the things that have happened against us, right? And it's really, it's on a knife edge. I mean, if Saka gets sent off again, Shaka, sorry, gets sent off again, that's the third time. What would the ban be? You know, it'd be, what, three games, four games? I don't know, right? But it'd be a significant I, I ban. I no, Right? And <laughs> and when those two guys play, whether we like them or not, Partey and Shaka, we tend to win, right? So yeah. so they're, they're really important to us. As you said there, Gabriel, Shaka and Partey on the yellow card, tiptoeing around the pitch, trying not to engage. We don't gain control because of their yellow card situation. We can't create transitions. We drop away. We're now we're in a situation where the cards are dictating our ability to control the game, you know, and engage the game. And it's like, this is a problem because they all know one more bad thing and I'm off. 
I'm not going to get the benefit of the doubt. You know, so this is something that we have to manage this trend. We have to get ahead of it, manage this trend, and also make sure that we come out the right side because we're in your world, Elliot. We're in the world of margins, right? And these margins went for us yesterday. Mm. But we need to make sure they go for us going forward. We've got to do everything in our power to make sure they go for us going forward, right? So um, unity is the word, mate, the word of the month. The funny thing is, I mean, on XG, we won this game. I know everybody loves a bit of XG analysis, but like we were sort of good value for the win in the end anyway. I mean, they pushed us back a lot when we were down to 10 men, but they didn't totally open us up. There's the Rob holding goal line clearance from a scrambled situation. Ramsdale did brilliantly to swat away some crosses and then make some saves from the rebounds. But overall, I mean, the best chance that happens at 10 men is Lacazette's chance that he doesn't convert. Paul, before you have to go, um, I think the the last two things, and by the way, just to, to tag on to Clive's point, I think the reason I felt so nervous going into this game and felt so invested is United and Spurs opened a door and we love walking into a door. We love just banging our head right into a door. And this time we walked through it under very, very difficult circumstances in a not easy fixture. And I think that is a huge step forward for this team. Um, a step they weren't able to make against City where I think we did everything right and felt we had it taken from us. And here we did everything right and maybe had it taken from us again, but this time we got through the door. So I thought that was huge. The, the two substitutions really that are a talking point that have to be covered. Let's do the one that's a positive. Rob Holding coming on. Ice cold, hasn't played. Been you know weeks since he's been on the pitch. Has to step into a rear guard action, being battered, being pushed back, 10 men. And he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. He did everything he had to do. He was totally solid. He had the goal line clearance that saves the game. The manager was full of praise for him. And I think this is what you need, right? You don't need 22 players. But you need to know that if there's a player on that bench and you have to call on them, they will do the job for which they are called. As long as you've got that, you're fine. And in Rob Holding, we had that. Yeah. uh, He's taken on a role for this season where he knows who the starters are. And every time he comes on, he's got his head right. He's professional, gives everything. um, And he's okay with the role he plays. He's kind of special teams at the moment. And like part of the reason Pablo Marie went out, I know everybody thinks it's because he was crap, but it was also because Rob Holding is the backup for left back, left center back and right center back. And you could see it in the preseason that, that Arteta was coaching, uh, using him as a left centre-back replacement uh, in the preseason games and also coaching him after games. Uh, I saw it at least on one occasion where he spent several minutes at the end of the game talking to Rob Holding after playing left centre-back. So this is a special, if you like, assignment he's been given that he's taken on, kind of knowing the reality. He needs an injury to the other guy's and like he's as up for this as anybody. Um, it's a big call by the manager to decide we're going back three. I think I'm obviously matched up in particular against Wolves and how they were set up and, and their width from having four or five across the middle uh, as they pushed forward and piled forward. So it, it, it doubly made sense in this case. Um, and look, he came in, he was switched on, he got everything right, cleared everything, back to the wall, a rousing uh, victory. and uh, I found it arousing as well, yes. Yeah, and uh, I joined you in wanting to shit my pants for the last five minutes. 
Yeah. Um, I don't want to have to do this anymore. But I, I think in particular what's difficult, different right now is this was a huge game for the run-in. Win this and we're absolutely in the mix. As you said, we're at, I think we're at 52% by Scott's model now. Yeah, and before this round of games, I think we're we were 39. like 30%. Yeah, 30, no, we're 30, 30, 30, 30, 39. All right, so there you go. I mean, we go from a plurality oh, well, of chances the, to majority. Yeah, before this game, we were at 39. Before yeah, I'm saying the, before the round of games. Before the we round, we were at 30. 30. Mm-hmm. But that's its own story. The volatility and the movement, just like all you can say right now is we're in the mix as much as anybody else is what you know a draw next time out instead of a win blah 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 had we lost this what we're 25 like it's it's jumping around like uh who knows so all you can say is there's two three teams really in the mix going for this place and we won our game our heads are on right we're feeling positive we're feeling united uh we push forward and i have a good feeling about this team uh, and where it's going and I don't all like I know we often talk about the season Leicester won I didn't think we were going to win if they didn't win I just didn't have that feeling about who we were in the second half of the season I, I think, might have after that Welbeck goal <laughs> if I'm being honest yeah but yeah <laughs> but but that was like a moment a game yeah, and yeah. like and yes you can look back at it and say we could have but I just did not feel that's where this team was heading um a game or two after that and like this is i think we come into this and leave this with a strong group with its heads the heads on right a way of playing i can see it i can see it in this group yeah and 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 i think we'll leave it there with you we got we got a couple more things we absolutely have to get to that i think are important but paul's on twitter pause my pants thanks pause yeah um and obviously leave your browser open as you know um clive the, the, the situation, well, well, firstly, I mean, people want us to be great. I, I want us to be great, but we're not great yet. But here's the thing. We don't have to be. We have to be better than a couple other teams that also are very, very much not great. And the job for the next 16 games is to be better than those guys. And I think we can be. Even if we can't be what we'd ideally like us to be yet, we can be better than those guys. So that, that's really the key. Now, I, I, Look, as great as Rob Holding was, there's a substitution I want to discuss with you because it just, I, I you know what, you hate to have a, a buzzing moment where you feel so good at full time and there's so many good takeaways and you have to go to something that's maybe not as, as positive, but I have huge, huge issues with Enkedia's performance in this game. And I, I sort of wonder if it's the last time we'll see him. He came on against Burnley in a game we needed a goal, and I didn't sense the urgency. There were a couple times where he went down, he held his calf, he kind of stretched out his foot, he got up slow. This game, he never broke out of a jog. And I was looking at Twitter. Not that Twitter's a great measure of anything, but the number of people who independently were like, what's in Kenny doing? Why isn't he running around? He had the one where he could have taken it to the corner flag and blindly passes it back to the keeper. For a group of guys out there that were so united and so together in fighting and scrapping and scraping to get these three points, there was one player at the end of the game that didn't feel connected to that. And it's the guy who doesn't have a contract. This guy was brought on instead of a guy who has a contract, expensively acquired guy, by the way, and who maybe feels a little hard done by by the club with windows where he could have left and didn't. And I, you hate to say a player isn't trying. I, I kind of want to stop short of just making that insinuation Maybe it's quality, maybe it's effort, maybe it's both. It didn't look right to me, Clive. It did not look right to me. Yeah, I think the stuff I will focus on is the stuff I can see 
and let's just and let's just talk about player quality, right? And um, the body language stuff. Although I do think I'm a body language expert on occasions. I, <laughs> I, I think um, we've all had to be at times, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, <laughs> I think. Um, hey, look, it, it's it's a it's a problem for me, really. And um, I think Arteta has tried with this guy, really boosted him, spoke well of him, spoke of his attitude in training. Way above what we even think, I see, as watching fans from the outside. He's really tried to boost this guy. What's happened in the background? He was due to go last summer, didn't go due to wage breakdown. Um, we don't know all the details in the background, but he's somebody that's been departed land for a while now, and yet we still prioritize him. And I'm not sure we should. You know, I'm generally not sure we should. I, I would like to see others prioritised above him who are committed to the football club. I, I'm quite consistent on this. If the guy's got a contract, play him. If the guy hasn't got a contract, then you know what? Should we be invested in him in the way we do? You could even say, you know, for all the failings of Lacazette, you know, he gives absolutely everything he's got. When I say failings, I think it's more... Shortcomings, we, yeah. Yeah, what we would see as an ideal, you know, and he's not quite there, so we want something else, just which is the want of fans, right? We always like new toys. But Lacazette's not here for long term. He's on the way out. Yet the manager's super invested in him, and he's given him the captain's armband. There are other captains within the, within the team that we could be developing right now, but we've chosen another way. My personal opinion is I'm hoping that Pepe has gone up the pecking order a little bit. He got some confidence from African nations. I think he's a he's a decent footballer that we could extract more from. And I want to see us attempt it. If it doesn't work, fine. But I've seen the Eddie show. I've seen it. And I don't think I'm going to get surprised. I generally don't think I'm going to get surprised. And so let's have a look at something else. We haven't got too many people we can look at. Let's get him up the pecking order and let's have a look at him. We need goals. We need shots. We need more devil in that forward area. Let's get that guy, Pepe, on the pitch. And let's invest in him appropriately. And I've felt this for a long time. I think there's more there. I'd rather not the Eddie thing. He's going to leave. And he's going to leave. And we're not going to get nothing for him. He's going to go to Germany, in my opinion, where we get no compensation. If he goes abroad in England, sorry, if he goes over to another club in England, we'll get like a training fee, whatever they a call it. A tribunal fee, yeah. I mean, it's a yeah, million pounds, be. two million No, pounds, no, it yeah. could be anything up to eight million or so. could be, depending. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, he's got a you know, under-21 scorer, a top scorer, etc. He's got a good CV at the youth levels, etc. So we could get four or five million for him, no problem, right? But now he's going to go to Germany. That's going to go into his pocket. That's what's going to happen. And uh, good luck to him. That's his prerogative. But in the meantime, let's look after it. Let's look after ourselves, right? And... Whether you like Pepe or not, in my opinion, I think he's a better player than Eddie and Ketia. So I want to see him play for us a bit more. And that's how I look at it, very simply. If Pepe comes on the pitch and stinks out of the house, then I'll, re- I'll reverse that opinion. Mm. You know, But I want to see him play. He's gone to the African Nations. He's found himself again. We should we should be jumping on that, you know, not putting him behind Eddie again. That's only going to kill his, kill his uh, enthusiasm like we killed it with William. You know, we shouldn't be doing that. We, let's let's make him accountable for his performance on the pitch and make him accountable for poor body language, which he showed earlier in the season. And we he's barely started the game since. Yet Eddie gets another go, right? And so I don't, I'm not one for, for targeting people, but I just want to see better, really. And I, I think we have better and I want to see it and see if, yeah. I'm, if I'm right or not. 
Yeah, and I don't think I'm someone who goes to soft factors a lot, who goes to body language a lot. I don't think that's a big part of my analysis. Um, I think Mikel Arteta probably feels some guilt, responsibility. I kept the guy at the club. I told him there'd be opportunities. I didn't find him the opportunities. I owe it to him to get him on the pitch. But like, it, it's got to be more ruthless than that now. Nicola Pepe at his worst has been a better player than Eddie Nketiah has been at his best for us. It's that simple. I'm not saying Pepe is as good as we hoped he would be. He's been our second leading scorer or tied for top scorer in a couple of different seasons. Eddie Nketiah doesn't score at all. And it's not that he's a terrible player. This is never that. But the thing that really bothered me in this is just like, all right, fine. You're probably not going to get a goal in the last few minutes down to 10 men. There was a time when it went all the way back to the keeper and Nketiah was in the area. Could he have chased down the keeper? And maybe the keeper kicks it out in a touch under pressure. He breaks off his run and he just starts jogging back. And then there's the time in the corner flag I mentioned where he just passes it blindly, you know, into the box for the keeper to get it so we can face another attack. And like that... That stuff you can control. Maybe you can't control that you're not going to get any chances in this game. And maybe you can't control that you're not the world's greatest striker. But you can control harrying and pressing and chasing and holding it and being strong. And, you know, there's one time where Smith Rowe had it and he's looking for Nketiah to make the run so he can play him in. He doesn't make it. Um, I just I just thought it was a, a poor showing. And it was a poor showing where the things that I felt were missing were effort-based, not talent-based. And so yeah. that's disappointing. You know, look... I do think Mikel Arteta is the type of guy, if Nketiah wasn't training well, wasn't doing what he had to do, I don't think he'd be playing. So, no. you know, and maybe, look, maybe Pepe is not back yet ready from the AFCON. I mean, it may be the case, that, you know, for whatever reason, Arteta just felt Pepe wasn't, wasn't fit. But th- this for me has to be the end in terms of Nketiah being ahead of Pepe in the pecking order because th- the talent gap is there. And now I would say the effort gap, whatever that may have been in the past, certainly doesn't look like that's any different either. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, I th- I think so. There's a couple of players in this game holding you mentioned earlier and Cedric. You know, we're not saying that they're super talented, but boy, they look invested in. Yeah. In the, yep. They look invested. Yeah, Cedric deserves a lot of credit. We haven't yeah. given it to him. He deserves and it. And they look invested in this game. They gave it. And you could see, you can't always say, you can't fool people. You just can't fool people. We watch every single detail. We're there. We're watching it. You can't fool the punter. And. Mate, get out there, get out of your feelings, Eddie. Get out of your feelings and get out there and do some work. If you do work, I don't care what happens, people will respect you for it. Do the work. If you do miss a chance, no one will worry too much because you're putting the work in. If you're jogging around feeling feeling sorry for yourself, I'm sorry, mate. It's not going to work out. Not going to work out yeah. with Elliot anyway of the Arsenal Vision podcast. It's not <laughs> no, it sure is. <laughs> Look, because I'll be honest, I haven't really killed him for the missed header against Everton. Headers are hard. People miss chances. I know you have, but like that's the point, right? Like I can accept a player failing to execute a skill because they're not good enough or it's hard or whatever. I can't accept when all you really need to do is harry and press and run and chase and you've just come on fresh and you haven't played in 18 days and you're young and spry. Like that should be the easiest part. You know, yeah, that should, should be, be the easiest part. So, oh, and we shouldn't end on that point just no, because... No, 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 I, I wasn't planning on it. I want to go to a good beat note before we go. Yeah, I, I think there was so there was so much joy I felt from that game. Way too much for a game in early February when there's 16 games to go. Way too much. But it wasn't just us that felt it. The players felt it. I haven't spoken to Tim yet, but I don't think that away end looked pretty quiet, did it? It looked unbelievable. Oh, God, they were going crazy, yeah. Unbelievable. Some of the pictures of them coming back looked great. And if everyone's feeling the same, that's that's a good thing because we can all, we know we're close. We know we're close and that's the that's the issue. So we're looking at the frayed edges. 
naturally you look at the frayed edges that could uh, could uh, make your feelings derail <laughs> and so you look at those edges and people like holding and Cedric said no no it's not going to be me I'm not going to let you down now we're looking elsewhere and that's the, just the nature the, of the beast I'm afraid the scary thing is how much the players want it when Lacazette missed his chance players fell to the ground like yeah. They they almost want it too much. That's the fear, is that they're going to start pressing as it gets closer because the tension's just going to ratchet up and up and up as we look more and more, you know, Champions League, I don't care if people, oh, top four is a trophy. Champions League is massive. It is a return to where this club needs to be. It changes the kind of players we can add. It changes maybe the budget. It changes everything about the prestige and position of the club and restores us back to where we need to be. And like, the players clearly feel that. And you know what? Yeah. Normally you'd say, oh, act like you've been there before, be a professional. These are 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 21-year-olds. It is a young, young team. And sure, you've got guys like Thomas Party who have been there, you know, but that's about it. Ramsdale's been relegated twice. This is a chance to go to the Champions League. This means everything to these guys. Yeah. And so I, I cannot fault them for celebrating that way and for needing it that much. And if ever, if anything, my only fear is can they keep the, the the emotion of wanting this so badly in check enough to perform in the moment? You know, sometimes emotion can fuel you to great heights. Sometimes it can crush you. You know, and that that is going to be the measure. But I think this helps so much now because not that it gives us a cushion, but it makes us really feel like it can happen. It 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 makes it feel you know, like Fortress Arsenal, I think that there's going to be a huge solidarity from this. So, Clive, that's it, right? Just control your emotions for these last run of games, yeah. and you can get there. You can get there. Yep. I'm a big rugby man, and in 2003, Clive Woodward called it teacup, thinking clearly under pressure. That is a, a risk factor for us going forward, without a doubt. Can we think clearly when the pressure's really on? It's to be confirmed. We all know it deep down. We all know it. We're hoping we can do it with this group. We need a break. We don't need joggers. <laughs> we need a break. We need a break of injury, health, and maybe squeezing a little bit more out of some talent that we maybe thought didn't have the talent, but they're invested. I'm hoping that's Pepe. We just saw it as Rob Holding. We just saw it as Cedric. Now, two players that I've critiqued over the last year or so just gave a magnificent performance and helped us get to the three points. So um, there's more in this group, and it's up to a manager to squeeze it out and um, and work out who... Is going to take us there, and I'm, I'm not sure it's um, Eddie at this moment in time. But that could change. And I hope well, it you does. know, what? this is the point: the margins are going to be really fine. There's not a we don't have a deep squad, but every player on that bench needs to be someone the manager can you know have his number go up on the board and know he'll go out there and and do what's needed to be done to get us the points. And I think he's got the players, yeah. but I think we maybe saw that that group maybe close down even a little more in this game. So a huge result, a huge win. I mean, look, we lose Martinelli for Brentford at home. We have to find a way through that game without him, and I, I certainly think we can. And we have a long time to then prepare to to really rally from this. They'll be tired, so what? They've got nine days to get ready. I'm just, uh, I'm feeling really, really excited about the potential of where we can be. And again, are we great yet? No, we're not great yet. Do we need to be? We don't. Just need to be better than other teams that are flawed, and I think we can be. So uh, we'll leave it there. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, rewatch, maybe? Yeah, we've got a bit we've of time. We've got a whole we? week, right? we got time. So yeah, we'll do, yeah. We'll do a rewatch. You could do what five do, minutes a day. <laughs> I want to get you to do a data video with Matt, like a rewatch data video, 
And then we do the rewatch and see if what the data told us bears out in the rewatch. I think that'd be fun to do. Yeah, I love that. I love competing against you data guys to see if I <laughs> I love there. it. They should be, they should be together. Uh, okay. No, I love to compete with you because you come up with some great stuff. And I want to see if he, it he tests brilliant. my head, right? So yeah. fantastic. All right, enough patting each other on the back. We'll leave it there. My name is Alex Finn. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, we really love you, and it's great to have the football back. It feels like it's going away now for too long, but uh, the tension is certainly still in my body from last night, and I, I hope you're still enjoying it. We will uh, we'll be back with more throughout the, well, I guess it's the weekend, so we'll take the weekend off. We'll be back next week. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Brentford Dillon. No.